Welcome to the Help for Wounded Spirits. This podcast exists to reach those wounded and suffering through life's trials. And now your hosts, Dr. Doug Carriger and Mrs. Stephanie Wesco. Great to be back with you folks. Happy Friday. We've been going through and listening to some uh, sessions that, you know, kind of been consolidated, kind of been broken down. So we'll have a three-hour session banged out in a half an hour in front of churches across America. We wanted to share that with you this week just to give you an idea of what we're doing around the country. So we want to go ahead and hop right in here this morning. So this is a class on depression and uh, it's just a quick class. So listen in. Here you go. I want to talk to you this morning. Who, who's heard about Elijah before? So Elijah's a pretty great guy in the Bible. So it tells us that Elijah was a Tishbite. Now my whole life, I never met a Tishbite. And I've been trying and wondered if it's made it through the generations or anything like that. And I'm pretty sure that brother Sean is the only Tishbite I've ever met <laughs> my entire life. So Sean the Tishbite, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just certain of it. Uh, what's that? Well, I, maybe he caught a ride with John this morning. He's just getting in. I don't know. But, but anyway, Elijah comes on the scene. We're done. That was all jokes from the last couple days. For those of you who weren't here, we apologize about that. But as we've been going through this weekend, we've looked at a lot of things. We started off Friday night and we looked at trauma. We know that you got to have a trauma. you got to have that thing that comes along that, you know, it's terrible, that terrible thing we've been through, that accident, the abuse, watching the military, things we see, things we've been through, and we looked at that trauma that causes PTSD. Then on Friday night, we looked at the triggers that went back to those traumas, because it's really important we know what the trauma is and we know what the triggers are, uh, because if we know that, we'll stay away from those things that flip our switches and that brings us to a bad place. And then yesterday, we went through and we looked at what does healing look like? What does biblical healing look like for people who suffer from PTSD? So we spent uh, yesterday morning talking about that, and we broke into our groups, and we talked about the terrible at terribles and, you know, sexual abuse and those types of things and physical abuse and those terrible things that can really set us sideways But how this great God we know, this great God who loves us and cares for us, gives us all the answers we need to help people with that. So this morning, we want to keep moving in that area, in that way, and we want to talk about depression. And uh, depression's a really big deal. One number that will not show on the slides is one out of three college students today suffer from depression, and one out of four college students are medicated for depression. Depression is a really big deal. It affects more young people than it does older people. It's out there everywhere, and God's word is not silent on depression. So we're going to talk about that. Next slide, Brother John. And so we know that one out of five people here in our population suffer from uh, depression. And uh, I love that verse up there in Psalm 34. It says, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and deliver them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. He's right next to us. And save as such 
as be a contrite spirit. So God is right next to us when we have a broken heart, when things are going bad. Sometimes we forget that we're under the shadow of his wings, that he's right next to us, and uh, he's always with us. We think we're all alone, and we're never alone. God doesn't leave us. We're never alone. Like that old hymn says, never alone, never alone. We're never alone. He doesn't leave us that way. And uh, Next slide, Brother John. So we see that one out of five people. And so uh, depression looks like a couple things. We know that it could mean angry outbursts, irritability, frustration, uh, loss of interest and pleasure in things we really like, feelings of sadness, tearfulness, emptiness, hopefulness, sleep disturbances, including insomnia or sleeping too much, tired, fatigue, lack of energy, making even small tasks take extra effort, changes in appetite. And uh, so we know you can see it, that can go either way. So these are uh, hallmarks, or uh, this is an awful lot what depression looks like. Next slide. And as we continue to look, depression can manifest itself in anxiety and restlessness and slow thinking. There's my problem right there, baby. It's, uh, <laughs> that's where that slow thinking comes from. Feelings of worthlessness or guilt. <clears throat> Fix it. And the devil loves this. I mean, fixating on past failures, blaming yourself. Trouble thinking, concentrating, you know, making decisions, frequent or reoccurring thoughts of death. There are people who think, who sit around and worry about death. That's one of the constant things they fixate on. Unexplained physical problems such as back pain or headaches. Next slide. These are some of the folks who suffer from depression in the Bible. You're not alone. So you can see Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Jonah. Uh, Job, Elijah, King Saul, Jeremiah. We spoke a little bit with the men yesterday about Joseph and, and some of the things he went through and decision points he had to make. Uh, you know, what am I going to do? Here's Mrs. Potiphar. Uh, she's wanting to do something wrong with me and, and bile. Yeah, I'm a slave. I'm owned by the Potiphar family. All these different things. And he had to make some pretty tough decisions. Well, every day now we're a click away from making the wrong decision. Every day uh, we're a, a conversation away from making the wrong decision and those things. And we, and we talked about that yesterday and how important that is. And, and you can go through and look at these different folks who suffer from depression. And we did a complete study on Job, and I get Job's depression. You know, I, I mean, I totally understand that. Uh, but certainly, uh, God can help us with any of these. Next slide. So we know that King David suffered from depression and all the things he went through. And uh, he ended up being a man after and after. So I want to talk about dealing with depression in terms of being in 1 Kings 19. So if you could turn with me in 1 Kings 19. So we talked about Elijah the Tishbite. God sent him out there, and he was going to talk about Ahab. And we know a couple things about Ahab. We know that Ahab was the worst king there ever was. There was no one more wicked, or w wicked than him. And we know that his father before him was a guy named Amri. And now Amri, the Bible tells us that there were no more wicked than Amri. But you know what we're doing in life? We're playing follow the leader with the wrong leaders. So Amri has a son, Ahab, and he didn't stop the generational sin. He didn't stop it. He, you know, we, the only way we're going to change things in life, the only way we're going to advance, the only way we're going to move forward, the only way we're going to continue to grow towards God is we've got to break those generational cycles. We've got to go to the altar and we've got to say, God, we need your help with this. We, we raise our children in such a way that, hey, we, we came from this, but that's not the spirit we serve now. That may be where we came from, but this is where we're going. And never forget where you're going. 
never forget the God you serve. It's a different spirit now. It's a different life. And so Elijah is sent down as a prophet, and he shows up, and he's got to go to Ahab, who's the most wicked person he ever was. Now, Ahab was married to a young lady, and what was her name? And lady says, what was her name? Jezebel. I was in the emergency room one time in an army hospital or in a clinic, and I'll never forget, they called this little girl out, and they said, Jezebel, Jezebel, it's your turn to go back. I wanted to look at the mom and say, do you have any idea what you just named your daughter? And uh, come on, let's, let's call her Jezzy or something, or Jez. I mean, get rid of the Jezebel, praise God. But So here we are. So when depression comes, and it's going to come, we all deal with bouts of these things. When it comes, we need to do a couple things. First thing we need to do is recognize that God must be part of the solution. So Elijah goes out there. He works with Ahab. He stands toe-to-toe with him and said, hey, God sent me. And unless you get right with God, I mean, there's going to be a drought. And uh, you better get right with God and your people better get right with God because God has had enough. And Ahab leaves. And, uh, and sure enough, there's a drought. Ahab, and he goes and he's hanging out at the brook Cherith, right? And he's eating and drinking and everything's right. But every once in a while, you know what God does to us? He dries up our sauce of brook of water and things because he's ready for us to move on to a different ministry or mission. He wants us to move down the road somewhere. He didn't, he didn't move them out of town. They, they didn't leave here in the area, but they went to another ministry is what he did. So he, he takes off. And he comes across the widow of Zarephath. Anybody remember the widow of Zarephath? What's going on there? You guys get to talk in Sunday school. Pastor said it was all right. Yeah. What's going, you guys get to interact. And now when I'm preaching, I, I, I don't. The only one who interrupts me when I'm preaching is my wife. She'll say, no, that was... That was actually the year prior to that, or some, especially when I'm telling a joke. No, you're off on the year there. But who was the widow of Zarephath? What do we know about the widow of Zarephath? Getting ready to fix her last meal. <sighs> Brother John, you can tell he was an army guy. It's always those army guys who are so intelligent. And uh, <clears throat> they, they do show up late, but uh, he's on the job. Uh, but Brother John, going back, well, he's an officer. Unless the guys would have been here on time, that five minutes. Yeah. So the officers are like, hey, is, is he coming? We're just going on PT. He'll show up sooner or later. Don't worry about it. Uh, we're not going to worry too much about him. But I was thinking about this. They have a little bit of grain left, right, and a little bit of oil, and they're preparing to die. The reality of the widow of Zarephath is, is they're preparing to die. They're at the worst of worst, the bad of bad, every, everything, nothing's going right here. They're literally preparing to die. And, uh, and here comes Elijah, and Elijah wants to eat. And he trusts God, and he tells her everything's going to be all right. Just go ahead and cook and make whatever's left. And, and he eats, and they try to eat, and the sun dies. That's a pretty bad start when you go to somebody and say, hey, everything's going to be all right. And then the sun dies, but, but God was strong that day. And you know, old Elijah laid over that boy, once for the Father, once for the Son, and once for the Holy Spirit. And that boy came back to life. And then God miraculously provided. Has God ever miraculously provided for you? He has for me. Has God ever completely changed hearts for you? He has for me. Has God ever completely changed direction? He has for me. And there's things that God does. So Elijah, he's coming along. So then he ends up on Mount uh, Carmel, on Carmel. And he gets up on Mount Carmel. And, and what happens up there? So they have all these altars built to these gods. Uh, I mean, they got an altar to the fish god, Dagon. they got an altar to the wind god, to the sun god. And all these altars. And one altar is torn down and broken up. And no one's paying attention to it. And Elijah says, that's the 
It was to the unknown God. You know what Elijah said? Elijah said, that's, that's my God over there. I'm going to go work on this altar a little bit. And he sets things up. And now remember, the prophets of Baal are everywhere. Jezebel was a prophetess of Baal, right? And so they're everywhere. Jezebel's name literally means, where is my prince? And so they go out there. And, and so Elijah fixes up his altar a little bit. And they start talking. And Elijah says, I'll tell you what. We're back. You guys didn't get right. And, you know, God has stopped the rain and things of that nature. And he said, listen. Here's what we're going to do. Your God, Baal, is the prophet of fire. Why don't we do this? Why don't you pray to your God, you get to go first, and call down fire. And if your God, the prophet of, of fire, the God of fire, your idol of fire, the, the fire bringer, every name you want to call it, they gave it to him. He was the fire guy. He was in charge of everything fire. He says, if your God brings down fire, we'll know he's the true and living God. And by the way, you guys get to go first. And they went out there and they stabbed themselves with their little lancets there, their little swords and stuff, and, and they bled. And it is about the blood, but it's never been about their blood. It's always been about the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God who died. for. It's always been about his blood. It's never been about our blood. It's not about us dying for our Savior. Our Savior died for us. It's not about a work we can do. We can't work enough to go to heaven. We, we, we're not there. God's done the work for us. And, uh, and so they're out there, and they're, they're crying, and they're stabbing themselves, and they're, they're begging Baal to send down fire. And, you know, before we're real quick to point at them and say, man, these people are all goofed up. Their lives are crazy. There's a lot of people not too far from where we're at right now that are calling down fire and worshiping dead saints and things of that nature. And we got the true and living God. And Elijah gets out there and these guys stab themselves. No fire comes. Then Elijah says, hey, gather up some water. I know you guys brought some water for all of us to drink. Pour it all over my altar. Because my God's the real God. He's the true and living God. Pour more water there. Pour more water there. Anybody who's ever been in the army knows at the end of a bivouac or a long training session, when everything's wet, you're not going to start it on fire. We used to have to tip the Jeeps upside down to get gas out to pour it on stuff. to light it. I mean, it's not going to light. But Elijah went there, and he, and he said a prayer to God. He said, God, bring down your fire so we can show them who's the true and living God, and Israel can get right, and things can get better again. And he prayed the most selfless prayer ever. He said, God, we trust you. Just bring down your fire. And he did. And then not only did God do that, but he slew these prophets of Baal. He just said, man, you guys are wrong. You're hurting our kingdom. Things are bad. We've got to stop this. And he slew them. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but they'd be better than winning the Super Bowl right there. Elijah should be at the top of his ball. I mean, who else would be happier right now than Elijah? Elijah's saying, man, the fire's been brought down. Everything's went well. Things are going great. Everything's perfect. He turns around and runs. And he gets word that, uh, that Jezebel heard what Elijah had done. And, and she's sending the troops looking for him. And Elijah runs. The prophet of God who called down fire. Is there a lesson there? I think there is. You know, when God gives us great highs, so many people turn around and run. But you know, when God gives you great victories, you just keep going. And, uh, and there's going to be these thoughts that come across our mind. Boy, the devil wants to ruin our thought life. The devil wants us to think that everything's our problem. The devil wants us to think all these things. Elijah came off that great victory. And here we are, we're in chapter 19. 
First uh, Kings, and we see here in verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel all Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them tomorrow about this time. So by tomorrow, 24 hours from now, you're going to be slain. Jezebel put the word out, you're out of here. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servants there. So we know that the kingdom had broken up. So you had the, the kingdom of Israel, you had the kingdom of Judah, and he goes running, he gets down in Judah. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. Now a juniper tree in that day, there's some pretty heavy symbolism there. Juniper tree is, a, in case you weren't regular and using the bathroom the way you should, they would boil juniper leaves and they would drink them as a laxative. So sadly, as you read this, going under a juniper tree was a pretty lousy place to go. You don't want to sit under a juniper tree. Go a couple more trees and get under the oak tree or go under a walnut tree. But he's under a juniper tree. His life is just miserable. And he's out there and his life is messed up and he requested himself that he might die. He's like, God, would you just kill me? Folks, I've been there. Boy, you get to rock bottom. It's just, would you just kill me, God? It's just not worth it. And uh, he had no idea that God has an expected end, that God has a plan for our life, that he alone is in charge of when we start living and when we stop living, that he alone can give us the joy of our life. And he said, it is not enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. That always, when I hear that self-handicapping, I'm not my father's or my mother's. I'm not that good. I, I don't have what they have. I, I'm not there. And that's, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I'm not as good as this. You picked the wrong person. I just want to stay at home. I don't want to be the person involved with this. You, you got the wrong person here. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Right away, a couple things happened. So as we go through verse 4, you know what he did? He fled. He fled the Mount of Baal, and he went to the mountain of God. And folks, when depression comes, when things go bad, we need to run to God. We need to get on our knees. We need to be in our prayer room. We need to get away from the bad things. And, and he got something right here. He ran to God. And, uh, you know, no matter how we feel, his prayer was corrupt. It was weird. He was praying for God to kill him. But at least he ran to God. Uh, there's so many places we can go when depression settles in and you'll see some people go to the bars and clubs and you'll see some people go to the drugs and you know every one of us has this God-sized hole in us that only God can fill. Every one of us has a heart that only the Holy Spirit of God can put joy in. Every one of us needs to have these things filled and, but he ran to God so we got there. So point number one we need to recommend, rec uh, recognize that God needs to be part of our solution. God needs to be the solution. That when it comes to depression, we need to run to God. We need to make God that person we go to. We need to be those prayer warriors. And, and boy, depression comes, doesn't it? it it's going to come, and, and we need to go to God. And then the second thing, and we saw that, I think, there in five, starting in five, we need to deal with the physical and fatigue factors right up front. Look what the Bible says here, and starting in five, it says, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink 
and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him. And he said, Arise and eat, because the journey is great for thee. You know, friends, I'll tell you, when we suffer from depression, when we go through those bad things, you know what happens? We either give up on our nutrition or we eat the wrong nutrition and we're not doing right, we're not stopping, we're dehydrated. All these things come through our minds and, and God's saying, we need to stop. The angel said, hey, it's time to eat and drink. There's a cake over here baking for you. It's time. Let's, let's fill your belly up. Let's get your body working right. Let's make sure we got those right things coming through to us. And, and, and that's what we have to do. We have to recognize there's some physical factors in our life we need to take care of. I woke up, I guess it was two and a half years ago now, and, and uh, I literally was walking with a cane. I was, uh, I was so beat up. I had, I had foot surgery. They cut my foot in half. I had so much pain in my foot that they cut along the heel of my foot. They took everything out and they scraped everything to make the circulation work again in my foot. And I remember I had that shirt. Nobody wanted to give it to me because the pandemic happened. Yeah, to try to get circulation and get in my foot. I was walking with a cane. And uh, I remember I went to the doctor and I said, listen, doctor, my foot's not getting better. I said, what's wrong? Why am I not getting better? And this, don't you hate doctors that tell you the truth? <laughs> and he said, you're fat. And uh, I said, no, why am I not getting better? He said, you're fat. He said, yeah, Debbie liked him. He said, you're fat. He's a wonderful doctor. Yeah, if you, like, if you like that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with me? You're ugly. <laughs> and, uh, and so it started this chain of events. I got, I got sick of walking with a cane. I weighed about 290, 295 pounds. I just got sick of it. I said, man, I got to do something about this. And so I got my nutrition. It's, it's wrong here in Montana. I want you to know. But for a while, it was right. And... And God allowed me to go down to about 198, 200 pounds. And, and I remember Debbie, that first time Debbie and I decided we were going for a walk. And she looked at me like I was crazy. I said, honey, let's go for a walk. We walked a quarter of a mile. I went back to the house. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. And Debbie's like, hey, I, I got to go back down the hill a few times, you know. And, uh, but I'm telling you what, we just got to get those physical things right. It was eight weeks later, I was going three miles, I think. Now, every morning at 6 o'clock, I go six miles. Come home and do 60 push-ups. I'm studying God's Word. And, and man, I, I'll tell you, the whole chemistry change inside my body from getting those physical things right, it completely changed my life. And uh, all of a sudden, I, it just it was a complete change. And I was able to focus on God. But you've got to deal with those physical and fatigue factors. I had to deal with them. God worked on my heart. I was writing this sermon in the middle of going through all this. I was looking at how can we help people with depression? How can we help people go on? I had to deal with the physical factors. Now, God was still number one in my life. I was still reading my Bible. I was still studying my Bible. But I realized that it was okay not to have 17 pounds of food a day. Now I only do 12 or something like that. I don't know. It's weird because when I lost all that weight, we had to figure out how many calories I could eat a day without putting on weight. I can still eat like 30. I got this crazy metabolism. I'm, people tell me I'm wound up tighter than an eight-day clock. So, I, you know, a good day for me is 16 ounces of steak. I don't know, half dozen eggs or something. But back then it was twice that much. But we got to do that in our life. We have to deal with our physical factors. And folks, you know what I'm saying. Just even at the level of when it really hits us. My go-to was eat as much food as humanly possible when I got bummed out. 
my go-to, I'm just being honest with you, potato chips, soda, all the bad food. It was, I thought it was comfort food to me, and it was making things worse. But when we deal with that, when we wake up and, and, and drink the water and do those things, I still got Starbucks issues. You guys have picked up on that. So number one. Yeah. See, she keeps me going. Yeah, we weren't paying attention, so we drank a ton of water yesterday, and then we had uh, we we had feel we feel felt better. We had some energy coming back and stuff because it can happen. You teach all day, you forget to do that. So number one, recognize. Number two, deal with the physical thing. Now look at this over here in verse number ten. We need to seek spiritual and scriptural counsel. And, and folks, I think that's so important. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord of God, my host. Now, this is Elijah talking to God. He's telling him, I'm jealous for you, God. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they that seek my life to take it away. Then over here in verse 15, and the Lord said unto him, go, return on their way. Uh, to the wilderness of Damascus, and while while thou come, <coughs> I'm sorry, while thou, while thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Hey, I got a job for you. There's things going out there, but he's praying. Hey, I, I need some spiritual and scriptural counsel. I tell you, one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life is people who spiritually and scripturally counsel me. And they say, you know, Doug, if you change this a little bit, maybe if you change your study time a little bit, maybe if you did this, it changes you. It gives you a, a renewed uh, focus, our vision. What's our goal? What's our vision? You know, we need to have a vision. Then we have to have goals in between. What's our vision? You know, what's our vision as a family? And, and whenever I talk to people who are getting married, I say, what's your vision? What's your marriage vision? What are you guys going to do? Now, I know there's different ways to get there. I, I know there's different roads we take, and I know there's different paths and things of that nature. But boy, we better have a vision. We better know what's going on. We better work on those things. Next slide. Then the next thing we got to do is we got to spend time in his presence, in God's presence. And folks, I'll tell you, you know, we, we, we recognize uh, we, we need to run to God. We take care of our physical problems and our fatigue. We get in the presence of God, and we need to spend time there. We need his counsel. We need his advice. We need to spend time with God. And uh, we see that right there in 9 through 14. And it says, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto them, What doest thou here, Elijah? You know, when God asks you a question, he knows the answer. Has God ever done that? He's ever asked you a question. He knows the answer. He just wants you to go through it again. What's your vision? Why are you here? Who am I to you? Those are the tough questions. I hate when I'm reading scripture and, and God stops me some days. And, and, and what I do is I read on my phone as I'm listening to it. And sometimes I have to hit pause. And I have to stop. And, and God's just asking me inside my head, you know, who am I to you? Why are all these other things getting in the way of my relationship with you? Why are you worried about this? Why are you worried about these other people? I think you need to help them, but when it comes, it's over. Who am I to you? Has God ever said that to you? Boy, he says that sometimes. And look at verse number 10, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. A still small voice was there, 13. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him that said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And you know, we need to spend time in his presence and talk to God and, and live with God. You know, we all want this big emotional thing. I'm telling you, we all want to, we wanted God to be in the wind, didn't we? We wanted the wind to blow over things and stuff, and at the end of that, we wanted to God to say, Hey, Doug, you here? You know, this is what it's all about. And then they wanted the earthquake. They wanted God to be, he caused an earthquake. Something great's going to happen to me. Something emotional's going to happen to me. This is great. But he wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire. And God wasn't in the fire. And I want to remind you, my dear brothers and sisters, it's never been about emotions with God. It's about believing him and his word and trusting his word. And sometimes there's fires that God comes through. Sometimes there's earthquake. But I'm here to tell you that that's not necessarily where we find the best things. It's that still small voice. It's that Holy Spirit of God saying, Doug, get right. I don't need to have a world-changing experience. God already did all that. I need to have a Doug-changing experience. If life's going to make a difference, if God's going to use me, if there's things that are going to make a difference in this world, it's going to begin with me. It's going to begin with me. It's going to begin with you. You want your family to get right, you get right. And then your family will get right. And then the neighborhoods get right. And then the churches get right. And then the state gets right. And so on and so forth. It begins with us. We have a role in this whole thing. And we need to be in his presence. We need to be there. We need to be tuned in. And then we need to get busy and stay active. And people don't like that when they're depressed, when they're going through hard times, when they're hurting. They don't want to hear things. They don't want to get busy and get active. And honestly, when we feel down, when things aren't going right, what do we want to do? We want to lay down and order a pepperoni pizza. We want to binge watch something on Netflix, you know? And I don't know. And, and God's, God's saying, now stay active. Be part of it. Be part of your church. Be part of what's going on. Plug in. That's what God's talking about here. Let's do something. And we see that right in the beginning here at 15. And, and it says, And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. So the Lord's saying, Just go. <laughs> Just go do what you're supposed to be doing. Do the next thing. People don't want to hear that. We get stuck sometimes. You know, we can get stuck in a rut. You can lose a year if you're not careful. You lose two years. And, 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 and we're just going through the motions. And God's saying, no. Do the next thing. What's the next thing that gets you closer to me? What's the next thing that helps other people get closer to me? What's the next thing that gets rid of all this craziness in our life? What's the next thing that unplugs us from all? I don't want to be plugged into craziness anymore. I don't know about you guys. I just don't want it. I, I don't need that anymore. 
I want to unplug. I want to plug into God. And God, what's the next thing I do in my life that can bring honor and glory to you? What's the next thing I do in my life that can help other people see how great and wonderful and majestic you are? And I'll tell you, sometimes it's, if we're not careful, our ministry, our life, our worlds become about us. They really do. And God's like, it's never been about you. I'm the preeminent God. I took care of this. You don't need a fire. You don't need an earthquake. You don't need a life shaking. You don't need somebody crawling around the floor and screaming. You don't need somebody to deliver you. God can do that when he saves you. I had someone tell me one time, you ever cast spirits out of anybody? I said, no. But I saw God do that a thousand times when he saved people. When that Holy Spirit of God enters into those people and they're no longer a slave to the bondage of the devil of this world, things change. And we don't have to have a fire. We don't have to have an earthquake. We don't have to have a special service. We have God! And that's what he's saying. And we have God, so get busy, stay active, do the next thing, do the thing that brings you closer to God, get rid of the things that take you farther away from God, uh, and, and just drive on. And, uh, but I'll tell you, we want to get so hooked up. We want to get so hooked up in all the bad things. And, uh, we, want, we want these things to live on in perpetuity and ruin our lives. And nothing makes the devil happier than when we live in bondage an entire life. He wins. Well, the devil's not going to win in my life. I serve a great God, and that's where you need to be. Then we need to find God's purpose in our life. That same verse in verse 15, we've got to fulfill it. What does God have for us? And, and uh, I think we see that here. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to uh, wilderness of Damascus, and without thou comest across Hazael uh, to be king over Syria. Go tell this guy he's going to be king over Syria. That's a pretty good gig right there. You're not going to tell somebody, Hey, you didn't pay your rent. You've got to get out. You're going to say, You're going to be king. God told me to tell you. And if God tells you something like that about me, get me the word, man. Just get out in South Carolina. Delta, Southwest, and United fly there. Come there and tell us right away. Hey, God wants you to know this. And uh, I think it's so important that we've got to find God's purpose in our life. And God's purpose is not always to be the pastor. It's not always to be a Sunday school teacher. But it's always, you always have a ministry. The day we get saved, the day we say, Lord, I accept you. I believe in you alone. You alone can save me. Please take away my sins. In Christ's name I pray. The day we say that, we have a ministry. Minister to those people next to you. Minister to the kids you take care of. Minister to the people at your coffee shop. Minister to the people at Walmart or wherever you do your shopping. Minister to those people. Just do the next thing and minister. Just go out there and smile at people and, and show them the light. Let that light that God gives us, let his light shine through us. And I'm going to tell you something right now. God's light is not shining through you when you're still plugged into the bad juju. You've got to be plugged into God to have God's light shining through you. The bad juju turns the lights off. And when you plug into God, the lights come back on. And uh, that's a pretty cool place to be. Next slide. Only two more, and we're almost done. Recognize you are not alone. You know, old, old Elijah said, it's only me. I'm the only one. Have you ever felt that way before? I'm the only one. It's just me. Uh, boy, you're walking around like Eeyore. I told you, I want to be a tigger in my life. And uh, sometimes I want to be poo and get stuck in a tree, but it's not a good place, I don't think. 
but I, in a honey pot that's coming out of a tree. But see, and again, she's the only one that corrects me. It's okay. But I want to be Tigger. I want to be bouncy, flouncy, pouncy, full of fun, fun, fun. The most wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only one. Recognize you are not alone. Let's look at 1918. And remember Elijah, we remember him saying, but God, I'm the only one that, that killed everybody. It's just me alone. There's no Tishbites except for Brother Sean. He's the only one left out of seven and a half billion people in the world. He says, I'm the only one. But then we get over here and it says, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which thou have not kissed him. Isn't that amazing? You know, I'm blown away by this. This is what I think about when I see this statement. I don't know how many times I thought to myself, I'm the only one struggling like this. Here's the coolest thing about our wounded spirits groups around the country, is everybody shows up thinking they're the only one. And they show up on that Friday night or Thursday night, and, and then there's 40 or 50 people there, and, and, and it seems like everybody's story is bad. <laughs> And yet God is lifting us up. And, and it's not to go there and talk about how bad our life is. It's to go there and talk about how great our God is. <laughs> Recognize you're not alone. Then finally. Graduate. Finally. Oh, and he graduated from college, stopped his class, a school teacher for little kids. But look what it says here. Get back around other people and develop good relationships. You know what happens to people with PTSD, depression, down, hurt, bummed out, freaked out? If they hang out with anybody, it's other people who are depressed, down, bummed out, freaked out, upside down. You need to get away from those other people bring you down. You need tiggers in your life, man. Find at least two or three tiggers in your life and hang out with them, man. You don't need the Eeyores, man, but we're, it's like we're hooked to it. And, you know, it's like, you're not going to believe what I went through. Well, let me share my story. It's worse than yours. No. Get the bouncy, flouncy, pouncy person. Hey, let's go get some pizza. Praise God. You know? Man, let's go do something. Well, I've been through this. Get over it, man. We're hitting some pizza tonight. That's who you need. So you've got to get back around. Look at, and, uh, look at 1919 here. And so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And look what's going on here. Who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. He's like, you're coming with me. You know what God does sometimes? He just sends someone out to grab you and, and uh, say, listen, <laughs> God's going to use you in the ministry. He's just, he's just been waiting for me to come out here and let you know about it. I get to do that once. It's cool. We got people, old Zach, we got people work with us in the ministry. You just kind of run across them, and what God's doing in their lives is incredible. But you're never going to do it, folks, until you get back around other people. And you hang around those people who are bouncy, flouncy, pouncy, and full of fun, 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 and full of the Lord. And, uh, and, and then people get to heal together. And you know what part of your healing is? Helping other people. Don't ever stop for one minute and not help other people. So every day we've got a podcast called Help the Wounded Spirits, Monday through Friday. Listen to it. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. So I've written a bunch of songs with my friend Stephanie Wesco, who you guys support. And we made some CDs back there if you want to get them. That helps us pay for making the next CD. And uh, we'd love to hook you up with that. And we also got some TV shows out at Help for Wounded Spirits. We're dumping a big dump as soon as they fix four or five items here. We're going to be dumping an entire season of TV shows called Help for Wounded Spirits.
Great to be back with you, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging in there. Uh, we look forward, if we can help you, get a hold of us at Doug at WoundedSpirits.com or the Helpful Wounded Spirits Facebook page. Please listen to every word Brother Eric has to tell you. May God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. It is very important to all of us at Help for Wounded Spirits that you know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear with a simple salvation message. You can know today. First, you're a sinner, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second, there's a price on sin, for the wages of sin is death. Third, Jesus paid that price for you. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lastly, you must speak it with your mouth, and believe it with your heart, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. Simply ask the Lord to save you in Jesus' name while believing in your heart, and he will. Please contact us if we can help you in any way. God bless you. Doug and Stephanie, thank you for listening today. We hope this podcast has been a blessing in your life. For helpful resources, more information, or to donate to help this vital ministry, visit us at woundedspirits.com.